Welcome back to the Coffee and Foils podcast. I'm your host, Simone, bringing you the client's perspective from the other side of the chair. For this week's Stylist to Stylist episode, I chat with Sam, who is not only my coworker and fellow stylist, but my best friend. Sam is a sober introvert with ADHD and severe anxiety who has built a successful career behind the chair in spite of these things. Sam agreed to come on the podcast because we both know she is not the only one with these struggles, and she hopes that sharing her story makes other stylists feel less alone. We talk about the irony of being an introvert in such a social career, her history of self-medicating, and how boundaries are helping her recover from burnout. Hi, Sam. Thanks for coming on the Coffee and Foils podcast. Hi. So for the listeners, Sam is my best friend in the entire world. I call her mom frequently, but she's also my coworker of 13 years. And we know each other really, really well. Um, But Sam is on this episode today because I think that a lot of hairdressers without maybe being open about it or talking about it, more of them are introverted than we think. And a lot of people wouldn't expect hairdressers to be introverted because it's such an extroverted type of industry and conversations and servicing and all of that stuff. But as well as being introverted, Sam also has high anxiety. She has ADHD. She refers to herself as neurodivergent. And all of these things are phrases that we definitely hear on TikTok because I think it's safe to say that most of the world is also on TikTok. And I think most of the world is also on ADHD TikTok. So Sam is here to talk about how all of those things relate to her while doing hair because they really don't go well, but somehow she makes them work. So Sam, if you could introduce yourself and talk about how you even ended up doing hair in the first place. All right. So I've I've known you for 13 years. We didn't know each other before we started working together. I've been at the same place for 16 years. And I got into the industry because I went to college and I hated it. I was like, what am I doing here? Um, It got to the point where it was like, nobody's telling me that I like have to go. So I'm not going to go. And I think that really ties into like my ADHD there, like my executive function, like I just didn't go. Um, And it's something I've always enjoyed. I always did my sister's hair, my friend's hair, like all through high school, college, and uh, I needed a future. So that's why I went to school for it. And I was interested enough to show up every day. (laughs) (laughs) That's saying something. Yeah. Okay, so I guess you kind of got into it without even thinking about, like, the social aspect of it, right? Like, it was just the creative part of it? exactly. Like, I liked the creativeness of it, and I always did hair of people that I was comfortable with um, in the past. But, like, my first job ever, I worked um, as, like, a busboy in a country club. And then my, like, job that I had all through college was a restaurant and that's all the same kind of stuff where you have to be like bubbly and social so I've always just been in those atmospheres and just kind of push through 
So I guess I never really thought of it as a bad thing until I got there. <laughs> <laughs> and you put it all together, which yeah, we will we will get to that point. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like in a world that kind of caters to the people who are quote unquote normal, working at a restaurant and having the social job seemed like it was like what was expected and should come easy to people. Right. Do you feel that way? 100%. And I always just felt like my brain wouldn't let me be that way. And I tried so hard to just be a normal person my whole life. Just wanted to be normal like everyone else. So you just kept trying yes. to be normal <laughs> by getting jobs like at country clubs and restaurants. Yes. And then exactly. going to beauty school. <laughs> yes. The most social you could possibly be. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I know when you started at the salon where we work, you were kind of called out for being like quiet and shy, right? Um, I was told that I would not last. And my education in the salon was taken away from me until I could learn how to speak to people. I guess I learned how to speak to people because I got those education privileges back and I ended up being a stylist. So yeah, wild. And how was that? Was that, I mean, obviously you don't even remember, but was that just, did you get over that just by forcing yourself to try and seem more outgoing or? Yeah. I always just like put on a heavier mask. Um, There could be a million things going on in my mind where I feel like I could scream or cry, but you would never see it on my face. It would be a smile. I would be friendly like small talk has never been a strong point for me. It never will be, but I've learned the questions that you have to ask and like how to be polite. And at that point in the game, I was shampooing and I wasn't, I wasn't a stylist. So you start to get to know the clients that come in on a regular basis. You feel a little more comfortable with them. You feel more comfortable with your coworkers as time goes on. So I think it just got easier in that sense as well. That makes sense. Like just a slow inching towards it where probably maybe a few months in or a year in, most of the people that you were conversing with became people that you knew, which was kind of what you were saying before, like you were doing hair of the people that you were comfortable with. Yes. So that makes sense. I think that kind of covers a lot. So that was early on in your life, early on in your career, what brought you there in the first place what brought you out of your shell, so to speak, even though it wasn't real. And let's go to 2019. Okay, that's a big jump. Yeah. (laughs) Well, the in-between was Sam got super busy and super successful and, you know, all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) So you want me to explain my 2019 experience? Yes. Okay. So 2019, my goal was to make a certain amount of dollars like for myself. I had a money goal that I needed to hit or I wanted to hit. And um, I pushed myself really, really hard. I was working long hours. I was overbooking, squeezing people in, staying late. And I was in work one day, maybe like October of that year. And I had a panic attack. I was in the middle of doing a haircut and I had to walk away from the client and I could not go back to that client. Someone else had to finish it. I couldn't do it. And I went home 
And the days following that coming back into the salon, it was happening again and again to the point where I had to take a leave of absence and I was out for the remainder of 2019. I didn't come back until like the second week of January in 2020. It was wild. Which is a lot. I mean, that's three months. This wasn't, I I still hit my goal. (laughs) (laughs) That's how hard you work. (laughs) You drove yourself into insanity. Um, You know, I remember you kept saying, I just need a week or I need two weeks or let me take the rest of the week. I'm going to try again. And I remember you keep coming, like you kept coming in and you kept trying until eventually, I think it was a conversation with you and management at the salon saying that it was almost like doing more harm than good because your clients just kept getting rescheduled and they kept saying, it'll be better this time. And they kept saying, no, Sam said she can do it. And it was just in everybody's best interest, yours especially, to sit out for the rest of the year. Yes. I feel like there was a lot of um, pressure on me to, like, get right back in there. Because, like, like you know how we are. Like, when do we ever take off from work? Like, when do we take vacations? We don't. We just work. Like, that's that's life. And we're there for our clients and then like when you're not there for your clients for something that seems so silly like a panic attack it's like well why why did I have why am I having more than one panic attack and like why can't I just go to work next week and everything will be magically fine but it it definitely wasn't I through that time I was trying to find a therapist or a psychiatrist um, which is impossible in the United States impossible I ended up going to like a walk-in clinic and being put on medication that made me feel like a lunatic. And then they switched it and I felt okay for a couple of days. And then I felt like a lunatic again. Um, but that could have also just been my anxieties on top of everything that was going on in my brain. Cause my brain just needed to be shut off. <laughs> I needed to shut my brain off. And at the time you were kind of figuring that it was, solely anxiety that it was kind of coming out of nowhere which that is what anxiety sort of does and over time you've kind of figured out that there were other things going on yeah yeah definitely I I hit a burnout moment I burned myself out and through my therapies and whatnot I realized that I have ADHD I was late diagnosed so neurodivergent community over here Um, my brain works differently So the anxieties weren't necessarily just happening out of nowhere. It was just other, I don't know, other things making me feel crazy. I mean, I also think that it was kind of like your whole life came to a boiling point right there. And I I don't mean like your whole life at the moment. I mean, your entire life, like living your whole life masking and having the ADHD and anxiety and then overworking yourself setting goals for yourself that you knew you were going to have to work yourself into the ground for um being busy at home you have three kids yeah all of this stuff I think really just hit a major boiling point and that was also probably why like just going on a simple medication and taking a few days off wasn't enough no 
Well, because it all goes back to me just trying to be a normal human being with a normal brain that works normal, where mine doesn't. So like other people can have goals and and hit them. And I'm like, okay, I need a goal. So I'm going to have that same goal and I'm going to hit that goal. So I just try to be like everybody else and do everything like everyone else is doing. But like, I also had the three kids at home and the dogs and the husband and the house, um, which was like getting neglected. So then there's anxieties on that of like not caring for my home and my family. And then there's anxieties of not being there for my clients. And I just hit, I hit a brick wall and I couldn't, I could not go any further. And I didn't really, I didn't have any coping mechanisms at that point to, to help me through any of it. It was just like, I was, I hit a wall, I hit a brick wall and I didn't know what to do. My body didn't know what to do. Everything just literally shut down. Yeah. That was just like a crazy time. I mean, I remember I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. You didn't know what to do. You didn't know what to say. That was wild. And then when you came back, you didn't even come back full time. I mean, granted, only several months into the year, the pandemic started. Yeah. When when, like back at the salon full time yet. No, I I think I worked, I think I worked three days. Okay. Or did I work for, maybe I worked four days, but I worked like I wasn't double booking. I was not, not taking on as many clients as I had in the past. Yeah. The front desk had some pretty strict restrictions on your schedule. And even that was kind of like, listen, we know this isn't how we do business, but if you want me back in the salon, this is the only way I can come back right now. Yeah. Cause I was still just feeling so overwhelmed. And now we're a few years out from that and I still, I'm still recovering from the burnout and I, I will be for a while because I'm still learning ways to, to cope with it and to keep myself from going back to that place. And going back to what you said before about how like everybody else was able to kind of go, go, go and take on these goals and work themselves and all of that. So you kind of felt like you had to also. I know that in the past, we've spoken about you and I being so close and being so much alike, but also being so different. And I mean, for those listening, Sam is always trying to tell me that I have ADHD and I'm always (laughs) going to fight that until the very end. I do agree that I, I am neurodivergent as well, which I would imagine that most of this industry probably is because we're the people overall who aren't thinking and doing the same as everybody else. But like, I'm a goal setter. I love to work. I don't like to take time off, not just because of skills, but I don't like to take time off. I don't ever really feel a need for boundaries. Like I am just not that person. And I'm not saying any of that is okay, but I know that for you, like having that around you also, like after living your whole life of going, I'm supposed to do what everybody else is doing. And then having a very close friend who was like doing all the things that didn't help either. No, because it was always like, I had to keep up. I had you and I had Sarah who were like the goal setters and the goal getters. Like I was like, okay, I got, I just got to keep going. I got to do it. I can do it. 
Um, and at that moment in time, it was like, I had babies at home. Like, who did I think I was trying to keep up with everybody else? And I feel like that kind of mentality is what we were raised on in the salon that we work at. So um, it's, it's about working hard and um, always being there for your, for your clients and being available. Like we were just always told, like, be available because that'll make you successful. If you're there, you're going to make money. So that's what that's what we do and what we did. And I realized that didn't that didn't work for me anymore. That wasn't serving you mentally. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And I mean, even that took me a long time to get past also, because I think that was an important mentality to have when we were building and then we were starting out. I was always scared to take off literally one day. And I remember, I think it was a day last year, I had put in for a day, it was months in advance. And I just booked my clients around that day. If they needed that day, I would say, oh, I'm sorry, I'm not in that day, but I'm in this day and this day and this day of this week. And it was fine. I do think those were skills that we did need early on. But somehow those skills and what those things were just like kept in our brain. And we've you and I, and I'm sure other people have just been like scared to stray from that. But those skills aren't necessarily meant to carry you your entire career. Skills is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Yes, exactly. Like in the beginning of your career, you need to be available. And I feel like um, we're just always trying to hit goals and be more successful and do better that like we didn't stray from that because like it was serving us in a way of making us more successful. But in the end, it wasn't serving my brain in a healthy way. Yeah. <laughs> I needed some boundaries there. So you came back in January of 2020 to eliminate schedule, limited availability, um, lots of restrictions, lots of breaks. And then the pandemic hit and we reopened in June of 2020. And we went back on a different schedule, the salon that we work at went to shifted days. So we've always been open seven days. So we continue to be open seven days, but instead of 10 a.m. till 6 p.m., which was most of our normal shifts, we were open 8 a.m. till 8 p.m. And we would work eight to two or the people who worked at night would be two to eight or three to eight, whatever, it changed a million times. And <laughs> Doing that, you and I found that we were working our same four days, but we were working many less hours. Do you think that that is where the realization of what you really had to do at work started to sink in? Um, yeah, because that was a real game changer for me. Like heading back to work um, in January of 2020 before the pandemic with my hours being a little different, I was still working 10 to 6. And um, I got rid of my late night, I wasn't working 10 to 8, or 10 to 9. When That's actually when we would leave the salon, I wasn't working that late night anymore. I was just taking less clients, but I was in the salon for the same amount of time. So then when our hours changed, it was like, kind of eye opening. It was like, okay, so I'm here, and I'm working less hours. I'm seeing the clients that I need to see. I'm booking appropriately. And I'm going home at an hour where I get to see my family. And my kids can do Girl Scouts. 
and whatever their hearts desire, I can be there for dinner time. I can be there for bedtime. So it gave me a better balance between work and home, which is what I think I needed the whole time, but didn't know it. And I was just burning myself out over and over again. And obviously, as we're talking, we're talking very like industry specific, but it's no secret that there has been a big push since the pandemic. And I also think with millennials and Gen Z with work-life balance and setting boundaries and mental health. So 100%. it's funny as we're talking because obviously we know the life that we're living and the salon that we work at and the issues that we each struggle with. But there's also this like big push everywhere to not accept unhealthy work environments or overworking yourself, working too many hours, saying yes to everything when you know that you shouldn't. So it's kind of interesting that all of this has sort of happened hand in hand to what's just going on in the world and in the workforce right now. Yeah, like it was a a blessing for me with how everything changed in the world and where it's where it is going for the work life balance situation. I feel like I couldn't go on the way it was before. And I don't know like what would have happened if it didn't change. Yeah. I could have totally left the industry because I was not in a good place whatsoever. I don't know what I would have done, (laughs) (laughs) but I could have peaced out. (laughs) So now that brings us to current day and I know we've kind of like touched on it or hinted at it or whatever but I know that you still have days and weeks where your head isn't in it your heart isn't in it a lot of the time you feel like you're just surviving that's a word that we use a lot but how are you working towards recovering from the burnout handling your anxiety coming to terms with ADHD while working in a salon (laughs) I I feel like it is still a madhouse inside of my brain. Um, I haven't quite figured out everything yet. I've been going through therapy where she told me that I need to like live by like this 70% rule or something like that. Something along those lines. Like don't do anything in your life to 100%. You can't. You don't have 100% of yourself for everything. So I... I try to follow that rule. Like if I don't, if I don't uh, fold my laundry, which I don't anymore, I found a new system so I don't have to fold laundry. Like I'm trying to find um, things that work for me that aren't necessarily conventional. Like my, my laundry is a system of laundry baskets where like there's one for my daughter's pants and for her shirts. And then there's one for the other kids. And like, I don't fold laundry anymore. It just goes into those piles and that's how it is because that, that was something that took so much time in my life that I didn't have time to do. So I'm just trying to find more time for myself that isn't just surviving because that's what I'm doing. And I'm still, I'm still in that phase of surviving. Like you said, like I have weeks where I'm like, I want to die and I don't want to go to work and I don't want to see one more person's face or have one more conversation with someone. And with the kids too, it's like, sometimes I don't want to be the one that has to pick up from dance class. So I'm still learning. I have a lot of learning to do. Um, I've been medicated since 2019. 
just started a new medication recently to see if that um, kind of like boosts my motivation because I feel like I don't have the motivation to accomplish anything in my home life because I use all of my energy at work. As being somebody who masks all the time at work, my energy is depleted like really fast. So when I'm done with work, I could be done with my day and I leave work at three o'clock and I just want to put my pajamas on and not speak to anyone anymore. <laughs> um, I want to talk about what masking is because we do keep referencing it. And I think that there is a strong possibility that anybody listening has no idea what we're talking about. I think that there's a strong possibility that people are doing it without realizing that there's a term for it. And I also <laughs> want to clarify that we are not talking about wearing masks on our face. Yes. <laughs> so I don't know if you know how to explain what that is, but can you give it a shot? Yeah. So masking is pretty much turning yourself into someone else for wherever you are and whatever you need to be in that moment, um, which I feel like a lot of people in this industry do. Like you have your customer service voice and like, that's what you do. I do that with every single part of my self. Like I have to um, mask my facial expressions and the way I respond to things and the questions that I ask people. I have to really like make myself sound like a normal human being and a friendly one <laughs> where I really like, even if I'm in a day where I just want to die, I'm still smiling. <laughs> My brain is on fire. I'm smiling. I'm like, hi, Barbara. How are you? <laughs> How's your dog doing? That's yeah. what I have to do. Does yeah. that explain it? Like, I don't I, really, it's a hard no, thing I, to explain. I think that explains it really well because I don't know. I think the term sounds self-explanatory, but just with I don't know, the current state of the world and even just the fact that like, I just realized that all of the things that I do in my life aren't normal because I thought that everybody <laughs> did those things. It's just, I think, important to take a step back and realize that people can be addressing this or listening to this from all different sides. So I think that makes a ton of sense. And also let's throw in there the word imposter syndrome, because I think a lot of people relate to that mm -hmm. phrase, which is really just another form of masking because people with imposter syndrome believe that they're just putting a version of themselves out there for the situation that they're in that isn't true to themselves. Yeah. Which is really just masking. Yes, exactly. Um, which is very, very common in the neurodivergent community. Like I don't think there's people out there wandering with no mask on. I have to take it to a different level with the industry that I am in where I have to be a, a person that somebody wants to be around and like wants to see and spend time with because you spend a lot of time with these people that are sitting in your chair sometimes. That's why I don't like to do those big services because I don't want them in my chair that long. Like <laughs> you go get your balayage somewhere else, Barbara. <laughs> go to Simone. <laughs> like I want to spend 10 minutes with you and get you out the door because I'm exhausted. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I always considered it performing, like who I am when I'm at the salon is like a thousand percent not me the second I get into the car on the way home. Yes. And I always find it funny, like what my clients think about me or say about me or how they describe me 
because I'm like, really, am I that person? Because I'm, I'm aware that I'm quote unquote performing, but I'm not even aware of how that's coming across to people. And obviously they like what they see because they're giving me positive feedback about it. Um, but I've always considered it performing and really what it is, is masking, right? Yeah. It's putting a version of yourself out there for the situation that you're in. Do you get like anxieties about your masking? Like I get anxieties of like being, like, am I being a normal person? So no, but you and I have talked about this in the past that everything, where everything in your life, and I'm going to explain this to whoever's listening because it's very possible that half the people are you and half the people are me, where everything in your life, you've been told that you're not normal and you have to be normal, right? No one's told me that I need to be normal. I just know that I'm not normal. Well, you are surrounded by normal people. Yeah. Yeah. Like my mom is like a get up and go and like super friendly and she makes friends wherever she goes and she could go somewhere by herself. And I'm like, I would, I would drive off a cliff if I had to go somewhere by myself. Yeah. I'm not coming. (laughs) She always like wondered why you weren't doing the same things. Like to her, that was weird. I was lazy to her because I... I would and rude. I was lazy and rude because I was not um, acknowledging people in public. I was not. My kids are the same way. Like someone says hello, I like wouldn't say hello back. Um, like as a kid, uh, my mom would get up and go, and I'd have to lay in bed for hours. I could sleep for days. And my sister's the same way, up and go. She might have a little more, mm, a little more anxieties than my mom, but maybe not. I don't know. I think they're the two most normal in my family. (laughs) And, but even that, like being raised by your mom and then being told that you were lazy or rude or anything, like as a child, that obviously triggers something to be like, okay, you need to not be that way. 100%. You need to be more normal. You need to be more like your mom because she's so friendly. And why are you not friendly? And for me, I wasn't surrounded by anybody who was normal. And (laughs) up until probably this morning, you and I were talking about how like, I'm like, no, Sam, we're normal because everybody else isn't normal. And we're constantly having this conversation of you trying to tell me that there are normal people out there, you know, the quote unquote normal. So for me, I never had that anxiety of like, am I doing a good job? Are people falling for it? Are people liking me? I never really had any of that because like I didn't have any examples around me of, I guess, the way it should be. So in my head, I was already doing better than anybody I had ever known, you know? So for me, did that give me anxiety? No, like the craziest things do give me anxiety, but I don't really think for me, my anxieties are ever centered around anything that happens for me at work my anxieties are more focused around personal relationships, I think. And other things like going to the post office gives me anxiety, which (laughs) is a whole other topic, but, you know, a personal relationship. So are my relationships with my clients personal? Yes. But do they go outside of the salon doors? No. So I don't really have to lay in bed and worry about if they, if they think, that I'm kind or if they're friends with me because they feel bad because it doesn't really matter because they come back to me. So I know that I did something right. It's an, it's a very 
tangible approval as opposed to personal relationships. I get that. For me, it's like I have a a new client. I am talking myself through an entire introduction. Like, okay, I have to shake their hands and I have to look in their eyeballs and I have to say, hi, I'm Sam. Nice to meet you, Karen. And like, I have to think about every moment of a a conversation because for me, it doesn't flow naturally. I have to follow a, a script in my brain that doesn't live in my brain. So I have to make it up every time, if that makes sense, because that gives me anxiety. Like, oh, did I say that weird? Did They're going to think that I'm really weird or I don't know what I'm talking about because small talk does not come naturally to me at all. And I avoid people like for that reason. I can't do it. But honestly, I think that's something that a lot of people relate to. No one likes small talk. People do, Simone. (laughs) People do. (laughs) Have you met my husband? This is this is constant with us. Is me saying that something is normal and you telling me that it is not. Um, Some people don't care. They just have conversations because like they're just next to someone. Small talk. I would with much no rather. Anxieties. I would much rather get real deep real fast. I would rather like very quickly get through the hi how are you and like go straight to like let's talk about your childhood trauma. I love that kind of stuff too. But I want to talk about that with my clients. Like, I don't want to, of course, I want to know, like, how their children are doing or what they did this weekend. Sure. But, like, I don't want to talk about the weather. I don't really want to talk about what they're doing tomorrow. I want to talk about, like, what makes them tick. I don't want to talk to them. (laughs) That's what it is. Like, they'll ask me, like, how are your kids? And I'll be like, oh, crap. I didn't ask them how they are or, like, how their kids are. And that's where like all my anxieties come from because I don't know how to be a polite human being because my brain doesn't work that way. And I don't really know if there's a normal way for brains to work. There's the societal norm of like how your brain should be. There's many people who are neurodivergent out there whose brains work differently. Like we could be equal out there in the world, but there is like what the norm is supposed to be for the way that our society is. And that's what I am everyone is measuring themselves against. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Especially with things like social media and stuff too. Like the normal people are all out there. Only more recently do you see people coming out like my brain doesn't work correctly. Thanks to TikTok. Yeah. Otherwise you think everyone out there is like perfect, living these perfect lives with like perfect homes. And I'm over here like standing in a pile of garbage. <laughs> I just tripped on it. I just tripped on a pile of garbage. Do you think that, I mean, I'm pretty sure the answer is yes, but do you think that TikTok is really what has brought a lot of this out into the real world? world? Probably. I I think there's so many people out there who have gone and become diagnosed with ADHD or autism or whatever because they're seeing things on TikTok that they relate to. I haven't learned as anything about these things as much as I have since I've started using TikTok. Like, obviously, I had you telling me certain things about your anxieties and that you believed that you had ADHD and things like that. But 
I didn't realize how much I related to because like I said, I always thought I was normal <laughs> and yeah. I, I don't know all of these things that all of these people are saying and feeling. And it's like, where have you been? You've been hiding it inside because there was no outlet to talk about it. There was no way to come forward about it. And, and it wasn't really accepted. We were all just trying to be normal. Yeah. All of us struggling out there in the world who are in burnout and struggling with their boundaries and people pleasers. We just have different brains or gone through trauma that have made our brains this way. Yeah. And uh, we're probably all doing hair. Yes. 100%. <laughs> There's not one person in our industry who is like, like great in the head. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and then another thing that I want to talk about, and it is related, and I said it at the beginning, is the fact that you and I are both introverts. And I want to say, and I mean, I guess for you, it's like the root of everything, right? Like, you've always been an introvert, but then through your life, it was the anxiety and the ADHD, and that just kind of piles on top of it. But by definition, an introvert is someone who their energy feels depleted after a social situation, where an extrovert, by definition, their energy actually multiplies in a social situation. So anytime you're taking like a personality test, like Myers-Briggs is one that they're always asking that because the first letter in Myers-Briggs is whether you're going to be an I or an E for introvert or extrovert. And like one of the questions is always something like you're at a party in a big room does that make you like feel alive or does it make you want to die? And obviously they ask it a lot nicer than that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm always like, yeah, I want to go home and die. Like I just want to yeah. go home and get into bed. I feel wiped out. And maybe for me in the moment when I'm around people, I feel good and invigorated. But the second it's over, I feel like I need to sleep for a week. Yes. Those things are the definition of being an introvert. And I think that people on the outside looking in, as in clients, would probably imagine that we're all extroverts because for you, Sam, you're wearing a mask. For me, I'm performing. Yeah. And that's not who we are. No, because we're the two that are laying in our pajamas in our top knots on our day off. Like, I have to do laundry, but I don't want to get off the couch. And it's not just about being cozy for us. It's about like needing to recharge because what we do for a living just takes so much out of us in yes. different ways. Yeah. And like my personal life, I have always um, pushed myself to be a go-getter. I played every sport in school imaginable. I was on teams. Like the person who like didn't talk to anyone was like a, a team member of la, a lacrosse team or a dance team, or I always tried to just fit in and be normal. And the only time in my life where I ever felt like I did fit in and was normal and didn't have the anxieties is when I was of drinking age. Like if I went out with friends who were drinking, alcohol would change my nervous system in some kind of way. And I just felt not depleted after those situations or during those situations, the anxieties were gone. And that is what leads to self-medicating. Yes. And that's where I was for a long time. And uh, I knew I was doing that and couldn't stop doing that because it was the only way that I could feel 
like a human being. I would come home from work every single day and drink a bottle of wine every day just to not feel like a psychopath. Just to not feel burnt out and depleted yeah. from being someone else all day. Yeah. Yeah. And I hit a breaking point with that as well, where I knew that I couldn't go on with that anymore. So I am now five or six years sober. I don't even know. I can't even keep track. Six. Six? six. Yeah, because I have an almost five-year-old. So that makes sense. Yeah. So I just wanted to be more present with my my children at home instead of trying to drown away my work day in alcohol and not being present for my family. But now I don't have that coping mechanism for me when I get home from work. So I just stay in that burnout mode. But now with the hours that we have, when I get home earlier, I don't, it doesn't feel as bad. Yeah. I'm still tired and I can take a nap, but like, it's not as awful. I don't want to die as much. (laughs) But now you've come to accept that when you get home, if you want to just sit and do absolutely nothing except for scroll TikTok or tell me stupid stories or get in your pajamas, put your hair up and not see a single living soul, that that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. I let myself be okay with that stuff now where I wouldn't have before. Yeah. And I know that that's been progress. And I almost want to say in a way, that's a little bit of a coping mechanism, maybe a little bit of a healthy coping mechanism. You're doing what like your body and soul requires for you to keep going. Yeah. Well, I need to find different coping mechanisms than alcohol and medications and all that. I mean, like I take my medications, but you know what I mean? Like things that you should not be taking on a regular basis. So I just need different things to make me feel better, which I'm still working on, but that is one of them. It's just like giving myself some grace and taking some time to scroll. (laughs) That's my outlet of my, my brain. You know, I want to make it clear that, you know, the whole point of us talking about this and being open about it is that you and I both have we're introverted. We both have anxiety. I am currently medicated as well. And we're being open and honest about it. You had unhealthy coping mechanisms that you no longer have neurodivergent brains. You have the ADHD stuff going on. So all of that is to say that I think it's most likely really common in our industry that a lot of people have some, if not all of these things going on. And I don't think we talk about it enough as an industry of how we truly get through our day, how we cope once we're home. But at the end of all of this, I don't regret for a second what I do for a living. It kind of fills my cup and it's a creative outlet for me. And it makes me just social enough that I don't feel like I'm, uh, living in a hole and never seeing a single soul because I think if I didn't have that job to go to and the people to talk to I would probably never talk to anybody and I don't know how healthy that is either even if it's what I want to do um I always say the same thing yeah I would for me I would just never leave the house and I just want to make it clear that I don't regret anything I'm really happy with the direction my life has taken in my career I can't imagine doing anything else. Like Sam, when you said before that you probably would have left the industry, but like, what would you have done? I would have been um, in an institution. (laughs) 
<laughs> you would have left like, the industry for a hospital. <laughs> I would have. Yeah, I I don't know what I would have done besides that. Well, I mean, what I do, because like I do find joy in what I do, and I do love what I do, um, and I love my clients and the relationships that I've built with people. But there are some days that are just harder than others to um, to keep the mask on. Yeah. When you're when you're recovering from burnout, it's like it's hard to just do the normal everyday tasks that you used to do so easily which is for me putting on that mask and going to work. So some days I have great days and some days I want to die. But like, I wouldn't change anything. I'm happy with what I do and who I'm surrounded by and all of that. And isn't it interesting that the people who are probably going to get the most joy from the industry that we're in are probably the people who are suffering the most when they go home? Yeah, 100%. There's a word for that. I don't know what it is, but there's a word for that. Uh, it's a I disorder, I'm sure. My brain doesn't work. We know that. <laughs> Neither of ours do. Um, so, I mean, I, I think we touched on all the topics. And I just want to make it clear for a second, the types of things other than figuring yourself out and medicating, obviously, through prescriptions, psychiatrists, <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and just trying to figure out what works for you and doesn't work for you. What are you doing? work-wise other than the, the new schedule that we've been given the last couple years to prevent the burnout from getting worse so obviously you've already said that you're still recovering from it but what are you doing to prevent burnout in the future I'm really setting my boundaries I am agreeing to things at work that I regret later on where I would normally just dwell on that and stress about that where now I will just go back and be like you know what that doesn't work for me and I can't do it and I feel like that's a hard thing for me to do because I'm always just like, oh, whatever you need me to do, whatever you need me to do. So it's really setting the boundaries at work that's keeping me sane. I think everything does come back to that. I mean, I did another episode on a, a similar topic in a way, and it all came down to setting boundaries. And the boundaries are going to look different for every person because, you know, your boundaries are basically not staying late if you don't have to and not agreeing to work any other shifts and working longer not, shifts to make up time yeah, not making up days when you have a day off and things like that yeah. and I know that you're making yourself take your vacation days where there have been many years where you did not take any vacation days mm -hmm. and those are really your versions of boundaries and you know versions of boundaries for myself is trying not to overcommit because for some reason overcommitting makes me excited, but I know that it's not going to be healthy for me in the end. So I feel like I was there at one point, like I would just like commit to things to be like, yes, like it's like a people pleaser kind of thing. Like you're like, this, this makes me look good. So it makes me feel good. And then I yeah. just hit a point where I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. So I think, I think if, if I'm correct with saying that the majority of our industry are usually introverted and has some kind of neurodivergent brain and most likely ADHD and or trauma and all of these <laughs> things, um, anxiety, I think what it comes down to is like figuring out what those boundaries are going to look like for you, figuring out how to make time for yourself and what those activities are that you're going to enjoy, whether that's getting a massage, getting your nails done, coming home and staring at a wall, scrolling TikTok, and acknowledging that if these are activities that help you unwind and help you 
preserve your energy for the next day of work to get to wake up and to go do what you truly do love to do, even though it depletes you, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's where we're at. Yeah. You and I and the rest 100%. of the world. And I feel like at this point in my career, I can be this kind of person and have my boundaries where I never would have ever thought I would have been able to hit this point like 10 years ago. Yeah. Never thought I would have, I would have been here. I yeah. overcommitted all the way. Like I just stepped down from being an educator to kind of save my sanity, like set a boundary there. Like doesn't mean that I won't ever do it again, but at this moment, it's not serving me. Yeah. It's not healthy for you at this moment with where you yeah. are and, and recovering and all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And boundaries for someone who's just starting out can look totally different. And what that can mean is, you know, saying yes, 60% of the time, not a hundred percent of the time. So if you're just starting out and someone needs you to fill in for a shift and you need the money and you need to look good, if it's not going to absolutely kill you later on, say yes, but maybe don't say yes all the time. And maybe say yes, but don't cancel plans with your friends to say yes. Mm-hmm. If you truly have nothing going on, say yes. If you can stay late, even though you're tired, maybe say yes. And just realize that some things that you say yes to now might be setting you up that people will have expectations of you later to keep saying yes. So be smart about the things that you say it to, uh, but don't let that prevent you from saying it at all, I think is my biggest advice for people who are just starting out, who are listening to this and saying, I should start setting boundaries now. Be smart about those boundaries for where you're at in your life and then build upon those as you become more successful. Definitely. It was said to us, I'm so used to you guys just saying yes, because we were always yesers. That it was surprising when we started saying no. Yeah, but it was just for our own well-being and mental health and everyone around us, our families. Like we both have children now. All right. So to wrap it up, you know, the questions that I'm going to ask. So could you please tell everybody how you take your coffee? Well, I only drink hot coffee with soy milk I or any kind of dairy-free milk, but you will never see me drinking iced coffee. I try <laughs> it like once a year and I'm like, nah, not for me. I drink hot coffee with soy milk in 95 degree weather multiple times a day. <laughs> Just like I drink iced coffee in zero degree weather. Complete opposites. (laughs) And always with milk. Yeah, I was going to say like always dairy milk. (laughs) Yep. I have tried the, I've tried soy milk and oat milk and almond milk and it just never satisfies me. So because you're a stylist, the questions are a little bit different. Um, And you can be honest here because (laughs) I know we were laughing about what your answers could be here, but... What is, let's actually, let's start with, what's your least favorite thing that clients do sometimes? My least favorite thing that clients do? Um, hmm. um, I hate when they come in with dirty hair before their color and tell you that they need to be shampooed. And we don't have time for that. That's my least favorite thing that they do. It's like, I have dirty hair. You have to wash it before we do the color. Least favorite. Yeah. Well, what I don't get about that also is like, why would they even want us to? Because it just means that they're going to be there longer. Nobody even, nobody even wants to be there that long. Some people 
They just don't, just don't care. Yeah. Yeah. And what is your favorite thing that clients do? My favorite thing is um, when they leave and they go home. <laughs> Goodbye. See you next time. <laughs> I've had enough which small is, talk. Which is the true answer, especially yeah, that after is my true answer. everything we talked about. And you also love when they do shorter, smaller services. 100%. Like, let's get you in for your short haircut that doesn't really need a blowout and your single process with four foils. I'm into that. <laughs> All right. So that, uh, that about does it. And obviously, you know, that I'm thankful that you came on, but I think this is like really important to put out there and not everybody is so open and honest about the way they feel in this industry and the way they feel in their bodies and in their heads and the struggles that they're dealing with. And I would just say that hopefully this helps people feel less alone. It helps them figure out that whatever they're doing to cope is enough because it's all that they can do. We're only human. Yeah. Um, and do you have any last words, any last thoughts before we go away? I feel like I just like to share my story to help other people because I know there are other people out there who struggle and my life on the outside can look so perfect. People think that my life is wonderful and great and perfect. And it's not, it's not easy. I am a burnt out neurodivergent who doesn't like to talk to people who is a recovering alcoholic. <laughs> that is me. Who you does know? hair for a living. <laughs> Who does hair for a living. And like people don't, don't see those things. So like, I like to just be honest about my story just to get it out there. Yeah. I could help anybody, one person. It's all that matters. I love that you've become so honest about that through the years because I think a lot of people do have that perception of you. And then when they learn it, I think I almost see something in their heads that it does make them start to feel a little bit better about whatever is going on in their own life as well. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen that reaction too from people. So that's why it makes me more and more honest, I guess. Well, thanks, Sam. No problem. This has been great. (laughs) Wish I could say I learned something. I didn't (laughs) because I, I know everything about you, but Hopefully, hopefully this helps someone else. So thank you again. I hope it does. This was fun. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thank you again for listening to the Coffee and Foils podcast. If you loved what you heard and want more, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and most importantly, share. My mission is to help other stylists improve their guest experiences by hearing the client's perspective, and I need your help to make that happen. As always, follow me for podcast updates at Coffee and Foils Podcast on Instagram and DM me with any questions or ideas you may have. Thank you and see you next Monday.